Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Housewives Archives, a podcast where we discuss in great depth all things Real Housewives. My name is James Evans, and joining me is my co-host and chairwoman of the Board of Trustees of the Morgan Family Museum, it's Ellie Nunn. <laughs> hi, uh, hi. How are you? <laughs> oh my god, hi. Hi. Oh, yours was so much better. I know you keep taking the piss about this, but I honestly do think you need to have like a Jim Henson low bass when you do hi. the Jill Zarin. Yeah. Because better? it's both the kind of, yeah, it's like, on the, it's, it kind of is opposite. So you want to think New York nasal up in the nose and then also very... Like low in the diaphragm. <laughs> yeah, the happy medium that is Jill Zarin. <laughs> I feel like oh. we'll get that together. Uh, how have you been? I'm good. I'm good. I'm yeah. I'm excited to um to dive back in. I miss you whenever we don't speak now about about housewives. Like every day that passes that we don't record one of these, I really feel uh, the loss of of you in my day. I feel the void. I know it, it's really brought us together. In our entire 10 years, I think nothing has made us closer than doing this podcast. So it's... I mean, I resent that. I resent that having flown over to New York multiple times to see you. But sure, sure, you know, recording a podcast in lockdown overseas is is the thing that you feel has brought us closest. I stand by that, yes. If we were on the show, this would cut to my talking head, by the way, to be like, really? The closest we've ever been? Cheers, James. Cheers. And the music would be like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Oh, very Andrew Lloyd Webber of you. That didn't. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> that sounded far I'm more operatic than I was expecting. <laughs> I have good range, Ellie. You know sure, this sure. about me. I'm a very good singer. Okay. Um, well, one thing that I think can bring us both together, I hope you agree with me when I say that I think we were both very perturbed going into recording the Kelly episode last week, just because it's Kelly. But I don't know about you. Mm. I slept like a baby that night because I think it was just nice just getting it off of my chest. It was, I purged myself of Kelly. And to paraphrase Joe Gorga, I kind of got the proverbial poison out of my body. Do you feel that way? Oh, I was exhausted. Yeah. I was wiped out. I was uh, purged, I guess. Um, I do feel relieved of of the ghosts of Kelly that had maybe been hanging around since I'd been watching those series, the kind of continual reverberations of annoyance that she's had. But purged, I don't know. I, I don't know whether the frustration will ever end. I do think it is that thing. It's like a, you know, like a scary film and we've had the exorcism and then everything's mm. hunky-dory and then we enter the epilogue and it's like six months later and we're having a barbecue outside and then we just hear, Hi! <laughs> In the distance, and they say, like, "Oh, she's never." She and then credits straight to credits. Yeah, boom. Kelly two, the return of Kelly. Kelly Kelly. <laughs> oh, we're never going to be rid of oh, her. Kelly Caloran. On that note, I also want to just make a quick point. I need to get another thing off of my chest, if I may. It was God. You're unburdening yourself all over the place. <laughs> I have to. I know. I mean, I've just got so much weighing on my mind. It's been it's been annoying me this whole week, but it was A Few Good Men, Not Goodwill Hunting, in which Jack Nicholson said, you can't handle the truth. It's been bothering me all week, and I just had to put it out there for my own pride's sake. Okay, you've redeemed yourself. Thank you. Take that yoke Is there anything on. you'd like to get out of there? <laughs> it's been a heavy yoke. For it is heavy, sir. <laughs> Lay down your load. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got a bit do lally tap. Yeah, I know. No, I'm good. I have nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, well, I mean, right. I think I already put it all out there by the fact that I thought Al Sharpton had said you can't handle the truth. I'm not sure there's any coming back from that. For there's me. no coming back from that. No, no, no. You should be ashamed. <laughs> and we're going to yeah, sit in exactly. That. Exactly. I just have to own it. I'm really excited to talk about this week's episode, which if you haven't listened to the last few episodes, please go back and listen. Um, this week, we are talking about the Bethany and Jill feud, their friendship and the subsequent demise. And it's exciting for me because I genuinely would say, hand to heart, that I think this argument is the zenith of the New York franchise. I think season three is, for many people, peak New York. And New York is a city which, for many people, is peak housewives. And when I say people, I mean to me, by myself in the mirror every morning. 
My point is this feud was the, the sturdy foundation upon which this absolutely stellar season was built. I really wish that people listening could have seen quite how like earnestly and emphatically I was nodding my head <laughs> to everything you said as though I was like sitting in a lecture or I mean more than that that was as though I was like ch- chairing like a, a sage anti-coronavirus meeting or something talking about like <laughs> the future of civilization. <laughs> I like to think in your head you were doing in a Camille Grammer voice we don't say these things but now we said it. Now we said it. As speaking truth to power. I really stand, I really stand by your statement. And I think that um, in the archaeological dig of, mm. of the Housewives franchise and history, this would be one of the most important discoveries to stumble upon. Uh, like you say, in understanding the evolution of subsequent Housewives franchises. It's also where New York hit its stride for the first time. Like, let's call mm. a spade a spade compared to series like Beverly Hills, um, like New Jersey, who really did kind of hit the ground running on, on the drama front, New York took a good two seasons to fully warm up and to discover that level of drama and that dynamic within each other. And this was where the show really started to hot up. That was one of my, fa- that was one of my mom phrases there. It's where the show really started to get spicy. as the kids say (laughs) as the cool kids say as the funky kids say we are a couple of crusty old farts doing an archaeological dig on these old fossils aren't we but i i I do agree it was it was a slow burn new york but also it was kind of leading the way and i think this was another Mm. one of those instances where new york really led the way on what now is a pretty standard trope in the housewives universe of two really good friends that introduced to us as inseparable, which for the savvy housewives viewer means they will have a friendship breakup around season three. That's just mm. kind of, I don't make the rules. That's just what it is. And this was kind of the very first time we saw this happen. It was the prototype, if you will. And I think for most people, you and me included, we watched these early seasons for the first time in retrospect, knowing what the outcome is. And as a result, that their friendship in the first few seasons is kind of seen through the prism of the feud, which is a shame because it it was a genuinely sincere, close friendship. And I think the feud kind of colors some really touching moments in the friendship. I agree. And I think it is fascinating that you and I both like you say, watched these seasons with an awareness of what was to come. Uh, For me, it did actually almost heighten the the drama by shrouding the first couple of series in the sort of anticipation of what was it that blew that friendship up. And I'm going to put it out there. I was quite surprised at the seeds of that fight being so small. I was mm. under the impression from later series that one of them had, you know, shot one of their family members in cold blood. It, it, the, the, the level in which the fight is spoken about in Housewives history and the weight it was given would not lead you to believe that it had all started over, you know, one misguided voicemail. And yet that's where we end up finding ourselves. So should we, should we talk first about like you say, the kind of more golden days of that friendship. And, and as you pointed out, the quite touching nature of that friendship that one view is over in the first place. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, when I think of the, the golden era of their friendship, seasons one and two, I think of them in the bed together at Jill's house in the Hamptons. Yeah. Because it was a place where they found themselves a lot, but it was also a tableau that kind of projected not only a a closeness and an intimacy, but also warmth and a sense of belonging. It's a very domestic And family, wasn't it? It, Absolutely. absolutely, yeah. yeah. And that was the thing. They kind of, they used that kind of familial domestic uh, way of, uh, to characterize their friendship. You know, Bethany and Jill, they, they refer to the friendship kind of as a marriage. And then when they have a falling out, they refer to it as a separation and then a divorce. And and to, to your point about family, it's not just Jill that Bethany's friends with, it's everyone and everything that comes with it. And I don't mean this in an opportunistic way, but Bethany had access through Jill to the daughter 
that she always wanted in Ali and the the supportive kind husband that she, that evaded her in Bobby and the wise nurturing mother that she never had in Gloria so in that sense Jill was kind of a package deal she was deal. a package and, deal oh we yeah. said it at the same time and that's very attractive to someone like Bethany who introduces herself to us in the very first episode as this kind of self-described runaway bride and a de facto orphan who's powered by a, a, a need and a desire for a family and a career and love and mm. validation. She presents as a very lone figure, doesn't she? And Absolutely. And she's very like enveloped and brought into, like you say, uh, it's a sort of Annie style storyline for the viewers. And that's so demonstrated in those scenes, those domestic scenes that you're referring to. And also those scenes act as a sort of antithesis to the friendships being presented elsewhere through this society veil of, you know, friendships that only really occur at benefits or out of the domestic sphere. Um, they really pierce that by, by bringing us into the home. Yeah. Contrast their friendship with Bethany's acquaintance with Luann, where she almost, you know, makes a point of saying it's Mrs. Dulceps, you know, it's, we're not even on a first name basis. So that, it's 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 very interesting and i think that their friendship is like i said it's about family and it's so much so many more things attached to the to the friendship than just the friendship itself and also i think that there's the friendship comes maybe in retrospect to kind of be characterized by bethany's i feel like it was characterized by bethany's status or lack thereof bethany said in an interview once that Jill kind of almost scouted her out for the show back when it was Manhattan Moms and they were at some kind of event in the Hamptons and Jill recognized her from doing um, the Martha Stewart Apprentice. And she immediately was like, oh my God, this, this woman's hysterical. We have to have her on the show. She's going to be amazing. And she kind of took Bethany under her wing and she played Mother Hen. And then I think in Jill's mind, Bethany got big and flew the nest. And I think the friendship kind of does follow that trajectory mm. would you agree yeah i i do agree with with the show and what is continually sort of pointed out on the show which is the the dynamic of the friendship works by bethany being the underdog and bethany is almost permitted her humor and the way she talks to jill and her status by being kept slightly below her. But the second that Bethany almost gets bigger than Jill, that doesn't work as a dynamic anymore, partly because it's a bit like, what's Jill bringing anymore if Jill's not bringing the nurture? Exactly. Like if Bethany doesn't need looking after and doesn't need um, that comfort and that family anymore, then Jill's sort of become void uh, within the friendship. I think that not to... um discount the validity of their friendship but I do think there was maybe an element of the two of them maybe subconsciously slightly fetishizing what the other one represented to them Mm. so I think Bethany I think Bethany really was kind of filling a void emotionally in Jill and the uh, financial security that she also provided for her and I also think that Jill there was an element of Jill as you said, enjoying feeling needed, kind of like a mother, and then feeling a bit of an empty nest syndrome when she, when Bethany got too big for the nest and flew out. But I also think that Jill maybe kind of lived vicariously through Bethany and kind of enjoyed the fact that she was friends with someone who was slightly younger, slightly her junior, who was kind of mm. single and ready to mingle. And Bethany was kind of like a court jester for for Jill. And I think she kind of liked having almost like a bit of a lapdog around her. Yeah. So it's weird then that such a strange, comparatively innocuous comment should be the catalyst for this entire quarrel. I mean, I don't know, am I getting ahead of myself here? No, it is such a huge shift. And I think that it's difficult not to jump right in at that shift because it then colours so much of, of the rest of their relationship. It's so interesting that the dynamic shifted off screen over the summer. Mm -hmm. And I do think that that lent itself to as a viewer what feels like two very contrasting narratives of what the two of them think is happening so jill comes straight in season three with this storyline of you know bethany's betrayal and the hurt and the pain and you know can she ever forgive her and can she ever move on 
Bethany, comparatively, comes in season three. I think our first real scene of Bethany is is doing the naked fur photo yeah. shoot. She's got a new boyfriend. She's being very funny, very light. There's no sense of the the Jill storyline particularly and it slowly sort of comes out but it definitely feels like an awkwardness that Bethany is hoping will be patched up fairly quickly from the next time they see each other as though once they're able to be in the same room it can't not be be stitched back up and I think those contrasting narratives as to what is happening are so responsible for the the whole season that we get and let's face it the end of their friendship to this day, pretty much, it seems. I, I think season three really hits its stride in part because of this argument and in part because it's just become a bigger show. And I think at this point, you really start to see, you get a bit of a glimpse of it in season two that they are aware of their own fame at this point. And they're slightly breaking the fourth wall when season two opens up with all these comments that Simon Van Kempen has made about the housewives in page six or whatever rag that it is. Yes, yeah. And then you get the same thing here where, as you were saying, in Bethany's mind, it was, uh, you know, one of many minor fights that you might have with a friend and they thought they kind of cleared it up in private. And then she's completely dumbfounded with Jill's approach, which is I'm going to sit on this simmer, wait until the cameras start rolling again and sell this to the papers. Perez Hilton's going to be talking about it. And suddenly the media is kind of the third character in this uh, fight that's kind of looming over everyone. And I think that's where the real problem is, is that it's not only what each woman's stance is, it's the way that they go about arguing their case and trying to rectify the situation are two completely um, incompatible approaches. Right. It's such a colossal miscommunication, isn't it? Because the truth is, at the end of season two, we see them have their first sort of real fight on camera at Jill's benefit over the signage above the bar. And to be honest, it gets pretty heated pretty quickly, but then it resolves itself very quickly because that's what happens with family style friends. And that's what happens in the closeness of those relationships. And it feels like come season three, Bethany is expecting uh, something of that caliber to happen. Whereas, as you say, you know, Jill has gone into a very different style and is really like holding on to, quite literally holding on to Bethany's comments shown by her like saving the voicemail so what was the voicemail can you talk us through what the what the contents of the voicemail were so as far as i can remember bethany's voicemail is a product of jill complaining that bethany doesn't have time for her anymore or doesn't make space in her life for jill and you know has all these new things going on and 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 jill feels ousted and bethany arrives at a place of arguing that Jill always has an issue with someone and is always arguing with someone or starting drama with someone. And she ends her voicemail saying, you need to get a hobby. She's basically saying, rather than pick fights with people, you, you, need, to, you need to let this go. You need to go and, and you know, start crocheting or something like that. Because at the moment, it, it reads that your hobby is, is to pick fights with the other women. And that one comment um, becomes a sort of backbone of season three. I mean, Jill is holding onto that with like an iron fist. It's kind of the same thing as Kelly that we were talking about last week, how Kelly just was fixated on the Madonna comment when right. by Bethany's standards, that's a pretty tame remark to make. But the difference is, is that unlike with Kelly, they had, as we said, a prior friendship that was built on kind of, they were ribbing each other and they could throw zingers and often give each other some unfiltered home truths. And as you said, they had an argument at the end of season two and it was, it got heated, but they kind of patched it up and, you know, worked through it and, and all was well. And, you know, we see these scenes, you know, just going back to their glory days where Bethany would be tottering around Jill's house in the Hamptons with a red wig on and ginger in one hand, like doing Jill's Aaron cosplay. One of my favorites. That is so good. The scene where Bethany does Jill and she's, she's fantastic at it. And we love that. We love seeing people able to tease each other like that. Teasing each other and, you know, Bethany in her way, you know, it's not a big deal, but, you know, she was kind of you know, 
making points, you know, like Ali can't get a word in edgeways because Jill's always yammering on. And Jill's there in her bed, rolling around going, oh my God, that is hysterical. Yeah, you're so funny, Bethany. You're a real Jerry Seinfeld. Ah, yada, 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 you know? And you compare that to... There's like a similar situation that happens in Atlanta, actually. And it's in the early seasons, it's season two. And that's between Nini and Kim Zolciak, um, who were that city's kind of nominal Jill and Bethany. They were the besties. Yes, yes, I remember that. And like Bethany, Nini like donned a wig at a wig party and started doing, a, in fairness, a passive aggressive impression of Kim. And in that case, the laughs were a lot more forced and it revealed a lot of cracks in the friendship. So I just kind of had that comparison in my mm. head. So we know that Jill has a sense of humor and that they're be- that, and we know that their friendship kind of thrives off of what is often near the knuckle. And that coupled with sometimes these shows are built on high drama, which is great. And sometimes they're built on petty grievances that in real life you would just shrug off, but you know, you have to make a show and kind of make a mountain out of a molehill, which I also get, but it just seems like Jill had thicker skin than that and that their friendship was worth more than that. That's an interesting point. So do you think that Bethany, with that comment, hit on an enormous insecurity of Jill's, you know, Jill's very um, proud of being like a working mum She's very defensive in uh, earlier seasons. I think it's Mario who goes after her not working. And she's very like, um, is there a point with Ramona where she's like, did he see? Uh, I work at the fabrics. Like, where is she? She's very quick to, to being, uh, to have that Mario's point contradicted. You know, has Bethany hit on a really sore spot in which perhaps she felt like Bethany of all people would never make her feel as if she has too much time and she's this sort of sad old woman who's, who doesn't have anything better to do uh, than to pick fights with people? Or do you think that Jill took that comment and decided that it would make very good television and to, to make that her storyline and therefore to run with it? And do you therefore think that there is a slight inauthenticity to at least the beginning of the argument because of their awareness of the need to make good TV at this point? That's a very good question. And I do think with most of these questions, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that Mm. Jill, in in the same way as all of these women, Jill, Luann, Ramona, Sonia, Dorinda, they all represent um, a very kind of elite lifestyle whether you know they portray themselves as movers and shakers but i think they all know deep down that they married into this and actually they are nobodies from nowhere so there may still be an element of not quite belonging and having to kind of constantly mm. they kind of defend their way more so than their husbands who actually are of that world which i think is interesting and i think that the the thing about you need a hobby of course, yeah, implies that she's not working and she has time on her hands. And as you said, you know, Mario made a few points that kind of smarted for Jill. And I think that Bethany, the context for the the kind of the squabbles over the summer were, again, professional. It was due to the fact that Bethany was asked to do, she was asked to guest host the, the Today Show or something. And Bethany That's apparently right. got, she got to the set and then the producers said, oh, well, we had Jill on the phone going, you know, well, why, why are you doing it without me? You know, we'd be so much better to the two of us. Or like, I'm much more, you know, telegenic than, than Bethany. Like I would do a much better job. And I think, and she is, and you, you know, you see the scene, like when she goes on the local news station with Bobby to flog Zarin fabrics and Jill really saves the day. She's very good at what she does, but she is kind of an older woman in the entertainment industry. And maybe there is a bit of jealousy there and she feels like her talents are being wasted. And Mm. she really, again, relies on Bethany as a lifeline into mainstream fame, because maybe she knows deep down that she doesn't have what it takes fairly or not to make it on her own. So I think it probably did kind of hit home. And I also think Jill's best quality and her worst quality is that she lives and dies for this show. And yes, she, yeah. like, like Bethany said at the reunion, she was perfectly happy to you know put on camera, sending her daughter to fat camp and things of that nature. She would do whatever she needed to do in order to make a good show. And I think three seasons in, she was a bit too comfortable with how things worked. And I think she was, the cogs were roaring. And I think the fight at the end of season two, that was a bit of a taster, a bit of an amuse-bouche for what she could really flesh out in the next season. So I think that she did sit on that 
And I can completely see how Bethany, I can see how Bethany was completely blindsided. Right. Because, because I feel like Bethany wasn't under the impression that, that they would do things like that with each other. I really believe watching the show that uh, Bethany kind of saw their friendship as in some ways untouchable by the show because Mm -hmm. I I think it goes to show the the authenticity that they had before and that that worked and that that's, Bethany always says, you know, the, the, the cameras don't lie. You have to be yourself on this show. You can't hide anything. And I think that that really make sense of the warmth that viewers felt towards their friendship in the first couple of seasons. I think Bethany is genuinely quite dumbfounded by Jill's use of this argument for the show. And I think that's where you hit this really uh, interesting sort of Venn diagram of, um, no, it's not a Venn diagram. My excuse my maths. I, you know what? I'm going to say graph. A pie chart. <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> Chuck them all in. Um, I think you hit this interesting cross wires in which, Jill's using the argument to a degree for the show and Bethany very genuinely seems to be wanting to fix things and to come with an apology and then they seem to kind of meet and cross over um, as Bethany gets engaged becomes pregnant has a lot of these real life events happen and Jill suddenly is like oh god having to have this argument for the show's sake is actually making me miss all of the the important life stuff Mm -hmm. that's going to make it much harder for us to be friends after this. But Bethany's suddenly hitting a point where she's like, if you've you've used this for the show, you have to stick with that now because Mm -hmm. now I'm pissed. And so suddenly they sort of, they start going off in different paths, but they've almost swapped roles. Yes. And you have this interesting dynamic where Jill is sort of trying to make up at every turn and Bethany's just done. As Alex says, Bethany's done. She doesn't want to ever speak to you again. She wants nothing to do with you. That's my message. (laughs) And I think Jill, as a result of using their friendship for a storyline, unfortunately comes out very badly. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally remember finding her particularly insufferable in the scene in which she has the conversation with Bethany on the phone, on speakerphone, uh, while she's yes. with Luann. And I think it's a really bad look on Luann as well, this whole season. I think, I think they perhaps couldn't see that they come off as stoking this argument so much. Um, and it doesn't almost feel a fair fight because it keeps cutting back to Bethany, the other side, who doesn't seem to really know that they're arguing. Yeah, let's talk about this argument because I think this is really kind of the, it's not quite the nail in the coffin, but this is kind of a very pivotal scene for everyone involved, all three parties. Mm. And I I watched this scene and from the very top, something that really stuck out to me is Jill has Luann come over. They have a little short, cute scene that's just kind of catching up. And then Luann gets Jill a a kind of funny novelty wine glass that says something basic that mum's like on it. And Jill's like, oh, that's hysterical. Oh, that's right. And I have to say, let's just quickly pop in that it definitely feels as though Luann is trying to fill the the Bethany shaped hole that's been left yes the sense of like oh we'll we'll be fun we'll we'll be like funny on camera and it just crashes and burns because Mm -hmm. they just don't have the acerbic wit that that Bethany brings and that's such a perfect example giving a glass that feels like the kind of thing that you know some distant aunt would give you thinking it was a funny joke and Jill's having to kind of have as big a reaction as she would have to Bethany which feels very forced and yeah that glass is and their friendship just doesn't doesn't land it's it's something that really strikes me is that once once they're done with that little piece Jill clearly knows that she's going to have an argument with Bethany now she's decided the reason why everyone the crew were in the house today filming is not to watch Jill open a present that Luann got a novelty glass yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's yeah it's a it's very pivotal scene but she they Jill has decided this is the moment when I really give it to Bethany and it's Jill does something really interesting beforehand where she says to Luann I've got to change my my outfit and she doesn't really say why she just kind of feels a bit unsettled and yeah there's a very nervous energy there's a nervous energy and there's something about it that really kind of irks me and I think because maybe it kind of subconsciously feeds into that narrative that this is actually all artifice and she's quite literally adopting Mm. this affected persona of Bethany's nemesis or you know someone who's been slighted by her in order to forward this concocted storyline so it already kind of the scene already kind of begins on a bit of a strange note 
Yeah. And to be fair, you know, Jill doesn't call Bethany, Bethany calls Jill, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Kind of what we were saying before that Bethany goes into this scene with the gripe that Jill has made the feud public without even talking to Bethany one-on-one. She says that Jill's gone to the press about it. She uses the word advertise as if it's some kind of product that, you know, they can, Mm -hmm. you know, make the most out of Bethany's feelings. And now everyone, she says above the Mason Dixon line knows about it, but Bethany herself is still completely clueless as to what's going on in Jill's head. And I think, can I, I I feel like that's also demonstrated by almost the like blocking of their individual scenes. Like you say, the way that Jill, she's set up, she has like an accomplice in it and a sort of sidekick in Luan. And it feels like there's like, the crew is very much like at her house, in her home. She's changed her outfit. She's almost like costumed for it. Bethany, meanwhile, is like in a pair of heels on the sidewalk with like a driver waiting for her, clearly assuming it's going to be a much faster conversation. And whether it's intentional or not, uh, the entire vibe of her scene that's given off, that the like narrative is one of, like you say, it, it feels very unplanned, very present and, and consequently just far more real. Yeah, yeah. I actually want to make a, point about this as well this is another costuming point (laughs) my favorite I feel like it should be a segment each week like James costuming points James's costume hour so we have Jill who's now changed into a velour tracksuit a staple of the Real Housewives franchise your favorite my favorite and um as you said she's kind of like sitting on the sofa with Ginger in her lap she's kikiing with her new bestie Luann her assistant's there it's very homely it's that domestic scene that we normally see with Bethany and then we contrast that with Bethany as you say on the street in a red overcoat crying on the street and that red overcoat is burned into my memory is something about the intensity of that red first of all that really cuts through the image and bethany has never looked more like an executive on the show as she does in this moment she is mm. dressed in black high heel Louboutins in skinny girl red and black no less she's really you know emblematic of her own success she's you know projecting her ascent through the ranks you know she's finding her own business success and this symbolizes deep down jill's gripe with her we feel and i want to contrast that i don't want to get there too i don't want to like get to the end of the scene but i want to contrast her business attire with the fact that she is as you say alone on the street crying she's not at home she's not in her swanky new office she's not in the back of a limo she's literally in the gutter at her lowest ebb and that juxtaposition between bethany's kind of very elegant costuming and the griminess of her current surroundings sort of sums up the cognitive dissonance of how jill sees bethany and how bethany actually is jill sees bethany as bethany's outfit this hotshot mogul he doesn't need her anymore and while bethany's certainly on her way there bethany is still human she's still alone she does still need jill at this point and she feels completely emotionally rudderless so that image of bethany crying on the street really underscores the point that this really is all one big misunderstanding and how as a result bethany's been quite literally cast out onto the street it's really in terms of the direction i know we always say this and it's just a reality show but the way it's been directed and put together is really kind of heightened that was beautiful i really i can't tell you you how much i enjoyed listening to you say that and it's so true her outfit was very emblematic of bethany's achievement of everything that we've been listening to her uh, aspire to for two seasons this endless desire and pursuit of of career of career first and it suddenly you know she has that and she has it oozes out of every part of her outfit but like you say she's she's there crying on the phone to Jill and and that's really moving you know there's a hollowness to what she's achieved and the way just cutting back and forth afterwards when you know Jill and Luan are basically high-fiving on the sofa and then just the camera just kind of sadly following Bethany around and she sort of paces back and forth like a wounded animal it's just really oh I mean she leans against the car and starts crying it's really yeah it's really unfortunate for Jill because (laughs) it makes her look terrible it makes her look terrible then and if I if I may just go back to the top of this scene you may it's really So when Bethany makes this call to Jill's house, it comes up on Jill's phone as a private call. And Jill says, private calls, I hate private calls. And that again, kind of that little statement is very telling because once again, it sums up that we have two contrasting um, modi operandi, as Countess (laughs) Luan would say. 
we have Jill working in the public sphere and we have Bethany who's trying to keep things between them and those two approaches do not work. Jill, we've now established straight out of the horse's mouth, does not like privacy. And then we double down on that thought when Jill says to Bethany, once Jill then realizes, okay, we're going to have an argument now, she says to Bethany, oh, hold on, I'm just going to put you on speakerphone one second. And Bethany's hackles are up immediately and she says, oh, you're alone. And mine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Jill Jill knows what she's doing and she knows that yeah. this isn't a good look because she then kind of dances around the question before saying, no, they're not alone. You know, her assistant's here and like other people without expounding on the fact that Luann is here. So when she says other people are here, obviously they're filming right now. It seemed to be, she was essentially saying, yeah, the crew are here. Da, da, da. Right. We then cut to kind of one of those talking heads that I'm obsessed about. They don't do anymore. But you know, those early season housewives on the fly talking heads. Oh, the one where it's like right from that scene. Yeah, absolutely. They're like a rare beauty. It's a golden goose of the show. My favorite, just a very quick detour, is you know the one, I'm sure you know what I'm thinking of in season two when Kelly throws the Halloween party and she hasn't turned up. And then we cut to Bethany dressed as Roller Girl the with these huge red sunglasses on. The <laughs> best. And it's literally like they did the talking head purely so that she could skate away from it she did that so well it's one of the highlights of bethany from the show imagine if alex tried that i wish i actually love that when alex and simon um come as sarah balin and a moose and someone thinks that they've come as as rocky and bullwinkle (laughs) (laughs) so good Uh, i mean either works yeah no, she she said nine o'clock. She said we turn up at nine, nine forty-five, nine nine thirty. You know, we're pretty structured. We can do what we please. But she does. Kelly lives in her own world. You know, she lives in the form block radius of the Upper East Side. Kelly is Kelly. So then, anyway, we, was that, um, who was that? Was that Bethany or Jill? That was Bethany. <laughs> that, was that wasn't Bethany your best. Girl. Yeah. <laughs> my Bethany and Jill are essentially the same. They're both. No, it's not the best work. <laughs> okay. Anyway. So yeah, we cut to this talking head of Jill being very, very um, defensive going, well, I didn't lie. She said, are you alone? And I said, no, I didn't know. She didn't ask me directly if Luanne was here. So I didn't say Luanne was here. But the fact that <laughs> yeah, she needs that's, to explain that's that. that's how life works. <laughs> exactly. Like she, she obviously knows. And Bethany uses some interesting words here. She says that the argument has now become, in her words, disproportionate and enormous to which Jill again, very tellingly replies, I don't think it's really important why it's enormous. Isn't that interesting? It says so much about Jill and it says Mm. that she operates on the idea that the bigger, the better. It doesn't matter how or why, Mm. or even the ethics of how we've gotten a big flashy storyline for the season. The only thing that is important is that we have a big storyline. And I almost think weirdly in Jill's head, they're completely on different wavelengths, but I think almost Jill is like telepathically sending some waves to Bethany at this moment, subtextually, where she's saying, Bethany, you should be thanking me right now because I'm handing you this gift on a silver platter. Thanks to me and my hard work, we're going to be at the center of this season. And if only, if only you were as TV savvy as I am, you would know that and appreciate it. Do you know what I mean? I still think at this moment I do in time- know, I do know what you mean. I think, I think Bethany, uh, not Bethany, sorry. I think Jill has... Um very particular vibe going on especially the first half of this season which is a sense of being highly emotional and highly volatile in that emotion in a very present way that she later in the season sort of defends by saying well I was really emotional then like everything is almost given uh, this aura of a lack of self-awareness that as if Jill was was just in this like highly emotional place in which she was lashing out and then she had time to compress. I'm obviously thinking of, of the scene at Ramona's in which Ramona attempts to, to bring Bethany and Jill together. And Jill honestly reacts as if there's just been a death. Like it's so heightened and it's so extreme. And I don't know whether she's so sort of blinded by the need to, as you say, kind of keep this this drama going, that she loses any sight of a bigger picture. It's all about like very present emotion. Did any of that make sense? No, it did. No, it did. Absolutely. I was just thinking about how you're saying she was blindsided and it was like a death at Ramona's apartment. And I think part of the reason why it felt like a death is because what well, she says immediately, it's not even like she's 
upset that Bethany is there and they're having this conversation is she didn't know that this was going to happen. So immediate, I think what really gets her is that this is now she's, she's on, she's in panic mode now because the storyline now isn't going mm. how she was planning because she was going to plan the next run in. And so she isn't prepared. And I think, do you think there's a degree with Jill, like similar to Kelly turning up at the brass monkey with sort of a set speech and Bethany asking quite a kind of basic first question throwing her completely off track do you think it's a similar thing with Jill that it's again uh, again and again on the show the women say this thing that they're scared of Bethany and what I think they mean is they're scared because Bethany throws them off course by being very quick and very sharp and yeah super bright And I feel like you're right that that's a moment in which Jill's extreme emotion comes from the panic that she's going to look foolish because she's going to have to think as fast as Bethany in this moment. And she doesn't feel equipped to do that. And I think you're right that it's much less about, so she keeps trying to sell this thing of, I wasn't ready. I wasn't, and she keeps saying, I wasn't ready to talk. I think what she means is I wasn't ready because like I hadn't had a chance to prepare and to plan. Yeah. Um, and in a way, I think that's what I mean about like this, this very heightened emotion that pervades Jill in the first half of the season that comes whenever it's like you contrast that scene to her sort of sitting like a sort of smug cat in that velour tracksuit with Luann on the sofa where she has kind of vague control of the situation and she mm-hmm. has an audience. And I think she feels like she has more power. The second that there's more vulnerability in the scene and there's, I worry that I'm contradicting the point I made before. Ooh, okay. I'm interested now. Well, because before I was saying, do you think that Jill is sort of caught up in so much emotion that she doesn't have the self-awareness of the bigger picture? But now I guess what I'm kind of saying is her eye is only on the bigger picture. And then in moments like this, she's sort of like thrust into heightened emotion because of her panic over a lack of control. I think, I think it can be both. I think she's caught in emotion, but I don't think the emotion is that like Bobby had cancer and Bethany wasn't there for him at that moment Mm. in time. I think she is operating on a lot of emotion, but the emotion is, and I don't want this to seem really damning about Jill because I actually don't mind Jill, but I think she is quite self-serving at this moment in time. So she's running on emotion, that fear of getting caught, fear of looking like the bad guy, fear of things not going her way. Does that make sense? Hey, I just made about as much sense as Curly Caloran Bensman. I think she's using that emotion as a placeholder for stuff like Bobby having cancer. And the same way with Kelly, when she came in with those prepared remarks saying, I'm up here, you're down there. And then Bethany asks the most obvious response and I'm, you're up here because why? Mm. Kelly can't explain that any further. It's a similar thing with Jill saying, having that like, you didn't text Bobby when he had cancer card in her back pocket being like, there's no way Bethany can come back from that because it's such a low blow and it's so emotionally charged. But Bethany quite reasonably Mm. says, come on, Jill, that's not really fair because I did send flowers. You didn't tell me that he had his throat slit from ear to ear. You didn't said, uh, from what I gathered, it was a pretty regular procedure. We weren't in the best of places. I didn't want to go over you to come reach out to Bobby. And to your point, if it was that you know, if it was that emotionally draining for you, you wouldn't have been swanning around the Hamptons and hanging out at parties in Las Vegas, you know, having your photo taken. And the fact that Jill was was so kind of blindsided by that, it's pretty telling. And I think it's a combination of Bethany being quite uh, dexterous, but also the women kind of weirdly being so bad at this game. I think that's, I think that's so true. And something that really got my back up is Luann's interruption just as they seem to be getting somewhere. And it almost feels as though Luanne, honestly, <laughs> it Luan. really annoys me. Gee. <laughs> because it feels like either she's interrupted because the truth is they're sort of getting to a place where they may resolve it. And I don't know whether she thinks it will make better TV for, for her to interrupt, but it almost feels more like she, she dives in to save Jill in case Bethany bests her again by saying something quite astute. And I just find the scene so cowardly for that reason. That the truth is, in situations like that in life, of course it's scary, but the the correct thing to do is to to stay present, to listen to each other and to communicate. And it it genuinely feels, considering it's a reality TV show, as though Bethany does turn up with the intention of doing just that. And Jill kind of can't listen for a while. And so it's so frustrating that it feels like just as she actually does begin to listen, there's like a, a moment where you think, gosh, they're actually getting through to each other. 
And Luan comes in and really, for me, destroys a moment of really like authentic human connection. It is like a sliding doors moment. And I do think this occasionally, once a week, I'll stop what I'm doing. And I think, what if Luan didn't order that Uber? They, they, they could have really reached an understanding there. And I think that to your point about whether or not it made a good show, I think I kind of want to you know, walk back a bit on my statement before about how Jill would do anything to put on a good show. She would do anything to put on a good show as long as she didn't look terrible. And I think that's then the fear is that not mm. only is she, she's not working in the best interest towards the their friendship. She's also now not working in the best interest to the production because actually if she was interested in putting on a good show, she would be there and she would work it out. Even if Bethany came up with some points that kind of stumped Jill. I think now Jill is kind of just working to save her own skin. And we have the new way of operating, which is to just flee. And she does that again and again. again. On a a basic level, I also feel like there's genuine damage almost done by the lack of resolve because Bethany and Jill are headed towards actually a sense of healing because they've gone through all of these stages and they've had this, this anger and the defensiveness with each other and they're exercising a lot of demons with each other and they're just starting to come to the place of sort of stitching it back up and connecting in moments of like compassion and empathy and what Luan does is to cut it off when it's still an open wound and I really think that that's why when Bethany leaves Jill had that whole kind of meltdown where she keeps saying that was what does she say she keeps saying something like that was too much or she said I wasn't well, she, ready yeah. or something and she makes interesting she said now I look like a cold bitch because I wasn't crying as if like I wasn't crying on cue because I wasn't prepped she exactly and I think you actually she does real damage there because she 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 is responsible for that being left untreated and I think not to be too disgusting but by that being like an open wound left unlooked after I do think that that's what leads to it sort of congealing and going bad because there isn't they lose the opportunity for a healthy recovery on top Mm. of that we also have to talk about like the hypocrisy of Jill and Luann's anger at Ramona who for once I actually genuinely believe was trying to do a good thing considering Jill did do exactly the same thing with Bethany and Kelly in terms of inviting them both over without telling them that she was inviting the other and sticking them in a room together and being like, you don't come out until you patch things up. Yep. So that there's like a level of hypocrisy on top that really irritates me. Yeah, I'm really glad that Ramona made the point because I always forget about that scene happening. And every time I've watched this episode about 10 times and every time I'm like, oh yeah, of course that did happen. And it is interesting because again, by season three, I feel like everyone has a feel for how the show works and who's top dog and who's not. And they all start talking about it as if in this kind of oblique way, when Bethany says to Ramona on the Brooklyn Bridge, I don't want to win because if I win and she loses, then we all lose. I need to lose because it's, it's, it can only be Jill's way. It has to go Jill's way. And there seems to be an acknowledgement of that, but also people pushing back against that. People now kind of quote unquote, you know, bamboozling her or um, it being mm. a setup or whatever. So we really start to see already the tides turn against her, even in production and how it works. But I do actually just, I just want to get something off my chest here where it, similarly to Kelly last week, there are some parts of Jill that I actually want to defend because I feel that her legacy in the world of housewives is pretty bad. I feel like she's, people were very much team Bethany. She gets a really bad rap. And I have to say, I'm right with you that like, I, I my gosh, compared to some of the housewives and their sort of endless, um, ad, not admonishment, the opposite, uh, their endless forgiveness from viewers. I'm thinking about like Vicky Gumbles mm-hmm. and we spoke the other day about Teresa, Judice. Uh, they seem to redeem themselves again and again in the eye of, of the public. Jill Zarin has really gone down in Housewives history as one of the main villains of the show. And it does really surprise me because not only do I quite like Jill, I think she makes bad decisions, but I think she's a victim of hubris far more than she's a product of malice. Well, that's very well put. And I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it it, it is hubristic. She... 
it's it's basically it's just overplaying her hand and i think yeah. being blind to her flaws at this point which are actually i think which is why i kind of sympathize with her because i think they're pretty similar flaws to what i would have by her own admission she has a bad memory do you think it also she just underestimated bethany's likability and i think the truth is jill is also very likable she just wasn't as likable as bethany that's the thing i think jill if she knew her own she knew that she's she's only as popular as as bethany is and People really use that moment where she says, oh, I left my list at home. I really wish I had my list with me of all my points that I wanted to make as a moment of how she's calculating and conniving and petty and scorekeeping. But as someone who also has a terrible memory, I actually relate and it taps into a very real fear that I have whenever I indulge the thought of me being on one of these shows because I know that I would not keep track of the facts and that I'd misquote myself and others and I couldn't keep my argument straight and that it would all be spun into something really much more nefarious than it is and then played back to me in some damning montage at a reunion. Oh, totally. I feel that others would wipe the floor with me. I mean, wipe the floor. Like, I can't argue to save my life. And I do understand that someone like Bethany is pretty scary to go up against in an argument because she's good at it. And so I actually think that's a very human moment when when Jill says she's forgotten her list. And I agree with you. That's that's exactly the kind of thing I would probably need. It then just seems to be something that dogs her for the rest of the season for her. And that, as we were kind of saying before, unfortunately for Jill, in a really bad stroke of luck, we have event after event that affects Bethany in very formative ways. We get Bethany is pregnant. Bethany's engaged to seemingly the love of her life. Bethany's father dies. All these things happen in very, very quick succession. And all of these things not only endear Bethany to an audience, but they're real things. They're not show things. They're like proper milestones in life. And it's all the things that they were lying in bed, planning, talking about hypothetically together. Now Jill has been frozen out. And Jill, I really feel for her because putting the show aside, if this was just a private moment between friends who went on TV, she's kind of damned if she does, damned if she doesn't. Because as we said, if she does what she then tries to do and make amends in a kind of an artificial way, because you have to at this point, just because it's gotten so bad, but you know, events like that mean you sort of have to just put everything to one side for the moment. It makes her look insincere and calculating. But then if she did keep up with what she was doing, then she looked like the bitch who was, you know, haranguing the woman who's now grieving her father's death. Absolutely. So she can't do right for doing wrong. She's also facing a really difficult dilemma, which is Bethany has been upset at the, the loss of their friendship. She's grieved that. But the truth is there hits a moment where you see Bethany decide that she doesn't want to be humiliated anymore by trying to make up with Jill. She's looking around. Like you say, she's got her dream man she's pregnant, it's kind of fair enough that Bethany's suddenly like, I don't really need Jill in my life right now. I don't really need to be, A, arguing with someone, but also she's shown that she can do life without that friendship. She doesn't need that comfort and security of of the Jill's Aaron household anymore. So Jill's also in a tricky situation because she's now got to try and make amends with someone who's kind of on a high that everything's happening for her right now. If Bethany was suddenly down and out and had been like single and, you know, career stuff wasn't happening and she wasn't pregnant, I'm pretty sure she'd have been more up for them making up. But the truth is Bethany's now hit a point where that's not such a high priority, which means she can afford to go, you know what, I really don't, (laughs) I don't have time in my life for this right now. And suddenly Jill's resolve that she's hoping for in this storyline where, you know, by the reunion, they'll be back to being best friends and it's all fine. Um, All that's happened is it's been cemented that the friendship is over. And on top of that, it's happened publicly. Right. I really, I I think of that scene when they're at the nightclub and then Bethany's there and she's just announced her engagement to Jason and she's showing the ring to everybody and then Jill and Luann scarper off. And then we have some scenes where Jill then hears about the engagement and she's thinking, oh, what should I do? And then... And can I just say that in that moment, I feel like we see a very genuine wrestling from Jill between the show and real yeah. life. And I think you really see a moment of her being like, oh, crap, because we've been playing this game, but suddenly I have to either keep playing this game in the face of like way worse odds against me and also I don't really want to fight with this person anymore or I have to kind of awkwardly like break the game and call a truce and be like we're not playing the game anymore 
I want to stop the game in order to say congratulations. And mm -hmm. you can you can really see her dilemma. And yeah, none of those things are going to work out for her. And they take the latter route, production does anyway, and they make it seem as awkward as possible because it's really interesting watching that sequence of events. They We have her in a nightclub weighing the options and then we have an ad break and then it opens with Bethany and Ramona outside and Bethany's got Jason's um, yes. blazer on and she's really cold and she's kissing goodbye to Ramona. Another another lovely bit of costuming there Absol that yeah. she's like wrapped up in her new man's coat. Oh, mm -hmm. It's such a symbol of where she's at. It really is. And then it's interesting because normally I feel like in these circumstances with the editing, they would make a point of including a talking head of Jill going, you know what, I decided to let bygones be bygones and go outside and wish her well. But they don't. So suddenly we have Ramona, it just seems a pretty ho-hum sequence of, of Bethany going, bye Ramona, see ya. And then Jill, just out of nowhere, comes barreling out of the nightclub going, Bethany, I just wanted to wish you well. And it's, she comes in really hot already. And the editing makes it seem especially out of the blue and especially forced and awkward. And then she's, so true. she's trying to make amends with Bethany. And there's another moment that I feel gets twisted where she says to Bethany, oh, come on, let's see the ring. Like, oh my God, what a huge rock. Oh my God, it's beautiful. Like that must've cost you a pretty penny, Jason. Ha 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 ha. And it seems to me to be pretty much pleasantries. And then we get Bethany not giving Jill anything at this point. She's decided this display from Jill has confirmed to her that she's better off without Jill and she's done with her. And she says to Jason, that is so typical of Jill. All she talks about, the only thing she was happy about was the ring. And she says that as if to say, that is so typical Jill. She's so materialistic. Mm. That's the only thing she cares about. And because at this point, Bethany's saying it, it kind of just becomes gospel for the show. It's not a fair diagnosis of the scene from Bethany because the reality is in life, when you find out someone's engaged, I would argue that 98% of people would go straight to the ring. Yeah, it's absolutely what you do. And it's like a grounding, yeah. It's, a it's, it's, it's part of the ritual mm -hmm. of announcing an engagement is this, you know, quite bizarre thing of going straight to like, let me see the thing that's been bestowed on you. Mm -hmm. Jill doesn't help herself in enough ways. I feel like that doesn't need to be another instance of how Jill is this terrible, conniving person. I agree. I agree. I think there's this murky bit suddenly in the middle where they can't dig themselves out of the hole mm. that they're in by then. And it does mean that consequently, by the time that we get to Scary Island, I don't know about you, but the truth is Kelly Bensmo has just been so vile for like three days to Bethany, that when Jill comes in with that famous like, hi, and she's, she's so sure this is going to be like the peak of the series. Mm -hmm. And whether it's going to be an explosive fight or a huge resolve, there's no doubt that it will take the number one spot. The truth is the rest of what happened at Scary Island has been so explosive that Jill coming in just feels a bit like, oh, for God's sake. And that's really shown by Bethany's response. Bethany just seems to Doesn't shut care. down at that point. Yeah. She's not part of kicking her out. She, no part of her is like, I can't do this. I need Jill to go. She just doesn't respond at all. And I think in a way, that's the most tragic thing about the, the Jill-Bethany conclusion, especially for Jill's Aaron, is that it goes out with a whimper rather than a bang. And that's what I wasn't expecting, considering the sort of legend of that fight and the legacy right. of, of their falling out. One would assume that it had had this like huge climactic end. And the truth is, both parties just seemed to sort of like roll over exhausted. And even in their last reunion, it's sort of Jill being like, look, I really do wish you well. And, and I don't know if this can be fixed. And Bethany kind of going, yeah, I don't know if it can. Mm -hmm. And then they have that hug and it reminds me of when Danielle and Jacqueline hug in New Jersey at the reunion in season two. And it's like, there's so much coming yes. from Danielle and Jacqueline is just sitting there like a statue. And it's the same yeah. thing here. Bethany is just completely checked out. She's going through the motions. Okay, fine. If you want to have a, a, a pretty bow put on top of it, then you can, but it's, she doesn't feel anything. And the truth is like by then, Bethany's done with the show. She's moving yeah. on with her life. Like I said, she's got a lot going on. She's got no reason to she doesn't need to fix it in the same way right. and there's a slight sense of desperation coming from jill because jill's like i've got to fix this thing partly because i think she quite liked the friendship but maybe because jill's like i've got to fix this otherwise it's my reputation that's left slightly in tatters as bethany goes off to do her show that's absolutely the thing and i think a, a quick point I wanted to make about jill's cameo at scary island is that it represents so much not only about her demise in the group 
but also how she is losing very rapidly her currency in the production. So, and it kind of reminds me the fact, first of all, that she decided she really made the wrong decision to not initially accept Ramona's invitation to go to St. John. And I think that her watching back those episodes in Scary Island and seeing what went down with Kelly, she must have been kicking herself, especially because it's Jill Zarin and she, you know, really wants to put on a good show. And the fact that she was absent from that must have really bothered her. And it really reminds me of when Sonia wasn't invited to the Berkshires that one year. And so she wasn't there for that insane Luann versus Bethany showdown that seemed to go on for like three episodes straight. And we were just treated to one sad scene of Ramona getting her vagina rejuvenated. And it's the same thing here where we get that one episode that's insane. And then we just get like a sad scene of Jill like upstate like getting shouted at at an ice skating rink and it's just how the mighty have fallen and I think she the fact that she wasn't present for the most the show's most defining moment moment yet and possibly ever she wasn't key to the show's success Bethany was Mm. so you have that to then when she eventually does turn up and no one wants her there that was really the death knell for Jill and Mm. We talked about a couple of weeks ago how Alex delivering the message and no one was listening to her. That was such an agonizingly visceral depiction of her complete lack of status. It's the same thing here with Jill, except for unlike with Alex, this is a very new experience for Jill. And it's embarrassing because it's like a Titan falls. She was positioned to be the grand dam of the show. Even from the get-go, episode one, we hear Jill's tagline. Oh, she has been like the pillar of the show. Like she definitely, and she definitely presents herself as, as that? She, yeah, we get her tagline the very first episode. She's like, I run with a fabulous circle of people. And by association, the housewives that we're about to meet, they are those fabulous people. And therefore, she's the gatekeeper of those people. It's like her gang. This is right. her world. Absolutely. And welcome to it. You, you have the privilege of you know having a peek into how I run. And so and even behind the scenes, she was the genesis of the show. She was the first housewife who signed on and when it was still called Manhattan Moms. And by Andy Cohn's own admission, she was instrumental in, in working the Hampton scene and casting a lot of the OGs and getting them on board. I think the only one who she didn't get was, was Alex. And so there was perhaps an unspoken sense among the women that this was kind of Jill's show and that they owed her something. But Clearly that goodwill only lasted so long and it was like two and a half seasons. And by this point, she's old news. She's below even Alex McCord in the social order, which for a socialite like Jill, ultimate slap in the face. That's so true. And not just below Alex, but it's like, it's actively Alex's reaction to her arrival at Scary Island that leads to her being asked to leave. And I do think that's why she has such a sense of like her humiliation um is so then geared at this like very pure hatred of alex because it's like how have you risen through the ranks and i'm suddenly on the out and the truth is jill she does recoup some of her status for season four but even morocco we were saying about you know the big fight and it ending with kelly and and alex and then jill turning up like looking like a poodle (laughs) and laughing about how her hairdresser had given her a poem she sort of missed out again like she, I don't know if she ever got her relevancy back. She, it was so funny because clearly she knew that her reputation was in tatters at the end of season three. And you could tell the very first episode of season four, she knew she was going into this. This was her last chance. This was kind of her rehab season. And it's so funny. She literally lasted an episode and then she was like caught having that hot mic moment calling Alex McCord a fucking bitch at a wedding. You know, like she couldn't even last that long then, you know? Yes. So it clearly, I mean, yes. and it, it's just, it was just, it's just kind of sad to just see this once fan favorite and a key player for two seasons just kind of get awkwardly shuffled out of a rental home by Ramona Singer. And she has no one on her side apart from Kelly, who's probably sedated at this moment in time, and Luann, who's a famously poor tactician. She, all she has is Bobby and a sponsorship deal with Kodak, which don't even get me started. Like that's so symbolic that Jill right. is this yes. like, old news like a dying commodity and she's aligned herself with Kodak right and how and how sad is it that like you look at where the show's gone next and Bethany just went from strength to strength returning to the show in this kind of blaze of glory having become this like multi-millionaire with this hugely successful company and really like achieving this extraordinary status of returning to the show and immediately leading Mm -hmm. it 
and immediately like restoring her kind of place at the the front of the pack whereas Jill we have sort of make some sort of vague special appearance at one point somewhere around like season seven or eight at a sort of dinner with one of the women um she fell so far in that and the chasm between her and Bethany is so huge by that point there's something very sad about I find Jill's return in later episodes she's sort of wheeled out in a way that she's such a product of its of the housewife's history she's like a fossil she's very much brought into a dinner scene where most people watching the show would be like who mm-hmm. is that she is the ghost of housewives past yeah she there's no like huge celebratory return in like a puff of smoke it's it's a very kind of like if you know yeah. you know quite boring restaurant yeah. scene oh jill so how do we even wrap up Jill and Bethany? I think we just have to sit in our thoughts. I think we never will get closure. We never will. It's never going to happen. It feels like a very sort of reflective, contemplative end to this episode where, like you say, it, there is no tidy bow to stick on this unwanted present. We've got to return the present. <laughs> return to sender. Does it, is that what Sonia screams at Aviva uh, in St. Bart, which is like, return to sender, return to sender. <laughs> I gotta go find Reed. I've gotta go tell him I wanna return this package to sender. <laughs> well, that actually feels like a, a very genuinely accidental but nifty segue into announcing our next episode. Oh god. Back to Crazy Town. Are you tired just thinking about it? We are back to Crazy Town. I'm I'm feeling woozy. I am actually really excited though to take a step out of the sort of murkiness of that final kind of Jill Bethany whimper and straight into the like blazing color that is along with the season five cull the introduction of these brand new housewives and next week's focus is going to be on the one and only peacock of the pack it's queen of eva <laughs> it's queen of eva and her bag of crazy i have gotten like a shot of adrenaline i know just from me saying oh it. oh my god her bag of tricks <laughs> i'm so excited to pick over aviva's two seasons on the show and um and to kind of get back into that alex territory of the kind of lunacy of the character that aviva aviva brought in it's where we belong it's where we sit most comfortably let's be honest i think so so viva aviva is what i say until then we must bid adieu we must bid a jill no d- don't put that in <laughs> 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 I, know, I liked it. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Housewives Archives. Make sure to click subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Housewives Archives so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, we would really appreciate a rating. If you'd simply tell your friends about the show, that would help us out enormously. Thank you so much for joining and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> getting <stop> better. <laughs>